Our scripture is going to be the second one listed there in the bulletin, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, page 1819 in the Bench Bibles. Ephesians 2, beginning the reading at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. These are the very words of God. We've been talking one holy Catholic apostolic church. Today just a bit of review and then considering the words Catholic and apostolic especially Catholic. God's church is one. To understand oneness, remember this. Your congregation is your extended family. You do well to love the church as Christ Love the church, an important lesson I had to learn in the 70s. We must not be unloving toward that which Christ loves because we see problems in the church. Love the church as Christ loved the church. Three, be devoted to one another. And four, in essentials, which is to us, the Reformed creeds and confessions, unity, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. California redwoods are the biggest trees in the world, we're told, and oldest, at least the old ones are the oldest. They tower hundreds of feet high, the big ones, and they're older than a thousand years, the oldest, and some say that the oldest of the old date from the time of Christ, some 2,000 years ago. Wow. But redwoods have shallow roots underground. Some of those several hundred foot trees have roots that don't even go down a few feet. But the redwoods stand together, and their roots are all intertwined. And because of the intertwining of the roots and the staying together, they're tall and strong and beautiful. I encourage you to be rooted as one and to stand together tall and strong and beautiful. Holy. Holy means you are set apart from other human beings. And not only are you set apart as Christians, you're set apart 
to be special. We had an instance in our family three times this week when I was told something was set apart to be special. Linda was baking. I said, may I have some? She said, no, that's for daughter who's going on vacation. A while later she was baking. I said, may I have some? She said, no, that's special for the Cottage Grove Church picnic. And then she was baking again, and I said, may I have some? And she said, no, that's special for our minister friends who are coming over Sunday evening and spending the night with us. Then you can have it. But see, set apart to be special. That's what holy means, set apart to be special. Not common, but special. Not secular, but special. And if you can see yourself as set apart to be special, you will have a feeling for what holiness is all about. You know, I've been working hard in our yard and can't help but sweat a lot in this hot weather, and twice now I've got eye infection. Just can't keep the hands from rubbing sweat out of the eye. And when I've got an eye infection, I can't see. But when there's no eye infection, I can see good. If you can see your way to be holy people, set aside special, that's good, and I hope you can do it. And you are, all of the things I mentioned, set apart, special, in order to be God's sacred people and called to be saints. That's where we have been so far. Now, next, the attribute of being Catholic. The word Catholic comes from a Greek word, kata alis, that means um, all over the world. The Roman Catholic Church, of course, calls itself Catholic, and that's fine. We have no problem with that. But when the creed mentions a holy Catholic church, it means a holy church all over the world. Church of the United States uh, is Catholic. Now, here are a few quick applications, and then I'll come back to this. First, be living church members, not dead wood. Second, be church members, not church quitters. Third, expect both to give and to get. That is, ask not only what your church can do for you, but also what you can do for your church. And then four, know the difference between your primary or deepest need and your secondary or felt needs. If you wonder how I made these four applications, wait a minute, because we're going to go to the Heidelberg Catechism, and you will see how your church understands the church Catholic and the church apostolic. For now, though, let's go to that fourth attribute, apostolic. I believe a holy Catholic, and by way of implication, apostolic church. That's where we'll look at our text. Ephesians chapter 2, looking at the verses we read. Verse 19 says, 
Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. This verse is following up on a former verse that says God has broken down the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. The earlier verse has as its background the Jerusalem temple. In that temple, the Herodian temple, there was a court of the Gentiles. That's where Jesus drove out the money changers. And then there was the inner court of the Jews where the Gentiles were not allowed to go. Now the Apostle Paul takes that temple imagery and says Christ came to break down the wall between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews so that Jews and Gentiles are one and the same in the temple of God. And then verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, Gentiles, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. The Bible often calls the church of God the household of God, including here. And then verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles. You understand, I think, what a foundation is without a lot of explanation. Some months ago, I got up in the morning to a big rat-a-tat and all kinds of noise across the street in another one of the quads where we live. Went out there and the homeowner was talking with neighbors who came to see what was going on. I asked him, why are they hitting the foundation of your house? He said, they're not, it's cracked. We got a problem in these units with cracked foundations. I said, uh-oh. He says, yeah, they, and they're expensive to fix. Uh, they put sand in it and other stuff to stop the crack and do this and that and the next thing. And he says, just hope your foundation doesn't crack or you better have a lot of money to fix it. If you've got a cracked foundation, the building is in danger of collapsing and having all kinds of other problems from water that gets in, see? And our text is saying very clearly that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, meaning Old Testament prophets, and now with, Jesus, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In Bible times, the cornerstone was the first block laid in a block building. The cornerstone actually called for a ceremony when it was laid for a house or an important building, but that cornerstone had to be just right so that the house would be square if they wanted it square, face the right direction, level, and all the rest. Today the equivalent, I think, is footing in a building. Today cornerstones have become more a decorative thing sometimes on the side of the house and sometimes a ways up. So there has been a change there. What our text is saying is that the apostles are the foundation of the church and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone or the footing. And then verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So you have as your 
foundation, as your cornerstone, Christ, and you have the apostles as the foundation, and you build on them. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too. Now the reference is not just to the metaphor of a building, but to the people in the building, the church, the congregation. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now what a thought. Based on footing, foundation, and a building here called Cottage Grove Christian Reformed Church. You become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a privilege. What an honor. Now, at this point, rather than going into depth and detail about the text, I am going to direct your attention to the Heidelberg Catechism, because the Heidelberg Catechism is important in helping us understand what the Reformed mean by a Catholic apostolic church. If you wish to follow the reading, we're going to go to the Psalter hymnals in the back, page 27, and we're going to go to question and answer 21 of the Heidelberg Catechism and read it. And I'm going to note a few things, including some applications as we go through it. The Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 20 starts talking about the Holy Spirit and his work, which is referred to in our text. And the Catechism talks about the Holy Spirit's person and work from Lord's Day 20 to 52. The Reformers were called theologians of the Holy Spirit, and it's reflected, their understanding of the Holy Spirit is and his work is reflected in the Catechism. Now look at Lord's Day 21, where we have the first great work that the Holy Spirit does. The question is, what do you believe concerning the holy Catholic Church? And the answer is, I believe that the Son of God, through his spirit and word, out of the entire human race, from the beginning to the end of the, of the world, to its end, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. And then notice the next phrase. And of this community, it's building on the Apostles' Creed, I believe a holy Catholic church, the communion or community of the saints, and of this community, I am and always will be a living member. My applications from the catechism here again. First, be living church members, not deadwood, as they're sometimes called. Be living members of this congregation and denomination of which you are a part. Second, be church members, not non-members. 
in the Bible, New Testament in particular, the evidence is absolutely as strong as it can be that people ought to be church members. If they don't want to be, they've fallen for the spirit of this age, the consumer mentality. If I don't like it at Sears, I just won't shop there. If I don't like it at a church, I just won't go. Uh, if I like another church, if, if I like Walmart more than Costco, I go to Walmart, etc. That mentality is not good in the church. The catechism is calling us to be members. In the Bible, in Matthew 16, Jesus gives through Peter the church the keys of the kingdom to open heaven and close heaven. Those who too easily quit church should be asking whether they are Christians at all, really. At Pentecost, the Spirit speaks, Acts 2, 42, be devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Quit church, you're not devoted to any of those four. Ephesians 5, Jesus loved the church. If you don't love the church enough to be a member, it's a lie that you love Christ because you don't love what Christ loves, see? And I could go on and on. I have a quotation from John Calvin here, actually, that is completely in line with everything that uh, all of the reformers said. And that quotation is based on what a church father said back in the 100s. And Calvin adds his words. There's no other way to enter life unless the visible church acting as our mother conceives us in her womb, gives us birth, nourishes us at her breast, and lastly, unless she keeps us under her care and guidance. Such is the importance of the visible church that we cannot be saved apart from it. Now, some people say things, well, like if I'm at the North Pole, how can I be a church member? Well, you probably can't, unless you build an igloo and put a piece of ice on it that looks like a cross or something. But in ordinary circumstances, the church is here for a purpose, and that's to be a member. And don't be impressed with those quitters. Uh, the catechism is teaching us that if we affirm one holy Catholic apostolic church, we're not deadwood in the church, and we are members. And the words again are, of this community I am and always will be a living member. And now go forward to question and answer 55, because it's so important. It's the basis upon which I said, Expect both to give and to get. Ask not only what your church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. The words of the catechism or the creed as I believe a holy Catholic church, and then in apposition, the communion or community of the saints. The question 55 asks, what do you understand by the communion of the saints? The answer is first that believers one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Gifts of the Spirit are God-given abilities for ministry. Sometimes 
in line with our natural talents, sometimes different. You are God's gifted people, each with different gifts. Second, that each member should consider it his duty to use his gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of the others. Please do so. Ask not only what your church can do for you, but what you can do for it. And then the fourth application I made, know the difference between your primary deepest need and your secondary felt need. The Apostles' Creed gives us what it gives us by way of teaching, in the order it gives the teaching for a reason. I believe in the Holy Spirit, okay. What does the Holy Spirit do? Gathers a holy Catholic church. What is that? A community of people, a household of God. And then what's the greatest need of that community of people? It's to be forgiven of their sins. When I was in my first charge in the 70s, we had a preacher north of us a ways who preached from a bar stool. And I had a member who quit church because he liked the minister to preach from bar stools, and so he went there. And if I had preached from a bar stool, I would have had the conservatives up in arms, I'll tell you that. But so often our felt needs aren't our real needs. Many people assume their felt needs are their real needs, and most of the time they're wrong. Our real need, our deepest need, below other needs, is for the forgiveness of sins. And so the church ought to be dealing with how to get sins forgiven, how to be right with God, how to continue right with God, see? And the sad thing is when we have people who think that their real need might be something like being more entertained in worship, I hear all the time questions to children, and it was church fun today. It's a hard one for me to take because church is about giving God glory, not another fun thing. We've got to understand that. Go forward then as a church, remembering that your first calling is to deal as a community with sin in you, and those around you. And bring the good news of God's forgiveness for sin through Jesus Christ. Justification. That's what the catechism goes on to talk about. Now, at this point, I hope you see what the catechism is doing with the Lord's days we've read. It's telling you how to be a Catholic, apostolic church. And so, to conclude, my encouragement to you is this. Cottage Grove, you are a beautiful people. Linda and I have been so comfortable among you, especially as time went on. You're at ease, you're relaxed with yourself, you were with us. We don't come to church tense about what's going on here. We come to church looking forward to worshiping with God's people at Cottage Grove. Continue on that way. 
and continue to be one and continue to be holy, called to be saints, continue to be a member of God's Catholic worldwide church, not Deadwood, not quitting members, but active living members and continue to be a community using the multiple gifts and abilities and opportunities God gives you for others too. Don't fall for that mentality of it's only, I'm only in for me, the big I. Instead, ask what you can do for others. And always remember that your first mission is about sins forgiven. And all other needs are secondary. May God bless, uh, richly bless you. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to be a church here. And now go with us in the future. For Jesus' sake, amen.